So let's say you grew up in a religion all your entire life. And at some point you started to question, is this right for me? Is this where I'm supposed to be? Does this religion even make sense? Is it true? Is it not? Those are really good questions. I think if you are of any religious faith, but I think it's a really bold and obviously life-changing decision to really seek out the answers to those questions. And our guest today is someone who did just that. Today, I have Amy Logan, who is a life coach. She deals specifically with crises of religion. And even more specific than that, she deals with a life after Mormonism, which is basically the story of her life. I know Amy through another friend of mine, Jim, who actually will be in a later episode. I don't want to give away. But that's actually how Amy and I met. Um, I had no idea for the longest time of her story until I saw that she started doing life coaching. And when I found that out, I just knew I had to get her in and talk to her a little bit more about this. So I think if you are someone out there who is trying to navigate something similar, or maybe you haven't even thought about it, but you want to know what it's like for someone else, I think this is a really good episode to listen to. Because it is a huge, huge leap in a huge leap in really finding out what your purpose in life is and finding out how you want to live your life and also coming to a realization that you the life that you thought you were going to live may not be the life that is for you and it may not even be the life that you actually want. Those are big questions. I think having a religious crisis, a crisis of faith, it's something that you don't hear a lot of people dealing with, or at least I don't. Um, And even more so, you don't hear of a lot of people really questioning it. And it's actually a subject that I find super fascinating. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoy this conversation. Amy, Amy, thank you so much for being here. (laughs) All right, diving right in. Your website, you are a life coach. uh, And you deal mainly for this part of your coaching experience. You deal uh, with what you call faith crisis. Mm -hmm. And um, your perspective comes from your own personal life. Yeah. Being ex-Mormon. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so I want to go back to the beginning because I, I've, I looked at some of your YouTube content and I love it and I love how honest you are. And I think what I really, what struck me was I, in one of your videos, I can't remember which one, so forgive me, um, but it was one video where you were talking about um, just your experience and you were saying to people, if they do their journey and they do their research and they try to find their truth and they decide at the end of the day, they want to continue to be Mormon. Yeah. That's not, that's okay. Like you're not trying to talk them out of, it's not about talking you out of something. I think I, I love the fact that you kind of honor everybody's journey. Um, whether it brings them back to their religion or not. And also, I think that right from the beginning, what I liked is that when I looked at the comments, there were not only people that were ex-Mormon, but there were people who were ex-Jehovah Witness mm-hmm. and like other religions mm-hmm. that really, their your content really resonated with them yeah. um, just about what they had been feeling and they didn't feel 
knowing that they didn't feel alone right. and that it was like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only person that's had these yeah. particular thoughts. Oh so uh, I want to go back to the very beginning of your story. Okay. Because uh, you were raised Mormon. Yes. Am I correct? Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, there was a cute picture also, I think, <laughs> on your YouTube of you and your, it, as a little girl in pigtails in your outfit. It looked adorable. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> a cute little Mormon girl in yeah. her little, like, high neck exactly. dress. And, um, okay. So you were born Mormon. I guess my question being born into it, did you have any perspective on people who were not Mormon at an early age or how, how at, at, at a young age, how isolated were you? Um, I wouldn't say I felt isolated. Like Mormons are like in the community. There are fundamentalist Mormons who live kind of in their own little communes and stuff, but mainstream Mormonism, we're just your neighbors, you know, just like anything else. But I do want to say I was, I say I was born into Mormonism, but my, so my mom was a convert at 16. She joined the Mormon church when she was 16 and she was active. And then she did go inactive for a couple years and she met my dad who was not Mormon. And so she stopped going for a little while. So we, I started going to church when I was about four. Okay. I want to say, but being that my mom was Mormon, that was still her, the way she just was, you know, like that was just part of her. And she's, she always had a very strong connection to God and, and finding God in her life. And so for a little while, we did go to the Lutheran church, just a tiny little thing, but before I can remember. <laughs> <laughs> so all I do really remember is growing up in Mormonism and I never really felt isolated, but you don't know it when like looking back, I mean, I had friends at school, but all the people I hung out with, like now we're talking high school, but even younger than that were like church activities and church friends and doing things with, within my church community. But I didn't feel isolated from anything. You know, I grew up cheerleader in high school and like I was active in all of the high school things, but we were taught not to date people who weren't Mormon. And it just, we had such a fun youth program in our church that that just was my life. So I didn't think I was isolated from Anything else. Yeah. Okay. Until you were older. And then at what age did you marry? I got married at 20. Okay. Um, I, I like to say I did all the things. So it's kind of like a path. You're just on the path, you know, going to church, participating in everything that the church had to offer. When you turn 12, you are, you become part of the young women's program as a young woman. If you're a young man, it's a young man's program, but you'd have like every Wednesday, um, mutual, we called it mutual back in the day. I don't know what they call it now. Um, but it's just, we'd have an activity during the week and you would have activities and you'd meet like on Sunday with your different age group and, um, have your lessons all around everything. Like, And were the lessons specifically like how to keep the home or what, what were the type of lessons um, that you... My experience was, is like preparing you to be a wife and a mother. Okay. And, um, of course they were involved. Like I did, I graduated from Brigham Young University, so I did have an education. So, but I just, I just remember the way my brain digested all of that was you, you behave a certain way. You had to be morally clean. So there was no sex before marriage, of course, no drinking, no smoking, no anything like that. We had a kind of a health code, which we refer to as the word of wisdom. And all of those things kind of lead you to being worthy We'd have worthiness interviews every year um, to make sure you could. And I don't know how deep you want to go. <laughs> well, the health, just really quick, the, yeah. the, the health code that you were talking about, because uh-huh. I read just a little about that. So that means you can't have 
any alcohol, any coffee, any tea, no de- no tobacco. Yeah. Um, so does that pretty much nix out caffeine? I'm assuming yeah. like, so well, no soda. That's how I was raised. Okay. There, there are other people say, well, the, the word of wisdom didn't technically say no caffeine, but it's funny because there was never a caffeinated beverage at any church activity or youth conference, which we'd go on. Or even when I was a student at Brigham Young University, you'd have caffeine free beverages in the Coke dispensers or whatever, but there was never any and I think it was like 2012, this big thing came out that BYU was allowing caffeinated beverages on campus. And well, how are those kids like, going to, how are they going to study? That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I lived on caffeine in college. Yeah, yeah, no, no coffee, none of that. You could drink herbal teas and stuff. And that was a little weird because it would say no hot drink, but we could drink hot chocolate, but you couldn't drink coffee and, or teas that had caffeine in it. So there was a lot of speculation on why, and then everyone thought, well, it must be the caffeine. And so, therefore, mm. you don't drink caffeinated beverages. But some people grew up drinking soda pop with caffeine in it all the time. That dates me. Soda is probably the better <laughs> soda pop. But, um, so, yeah. Okay. So, you were, you, by the age of 12, you started taking the the women classes, mm-hmm. women's mm-hmm. classes, mm-hmm. teaching you how to take care of the home, how to do wifely duties, that sort of thing. Yeah. And it was everything just to be Christ-like and follow Christ okay. and, and being um, just a good human, really. I mean, they, they do, Mormons do believe in the Bible, the King James Version. So we would study that along with the Book of Mormon. Um, and a lot of mainstream stream Christians don't believe their Mormons are Christian, but and it's funny because sometimes I even find myself defending Mormons, even though I'm not Mormon <laughs> anymore and I don't agree with, but I believe that the core of Mormons do believe in Jesus Christ and the life he led and being Christ-like and helping and loving others. And so I guess there's doctrinal things that separate, you know, the Mormon Christianity versus mainstream Christianity, but that's probably a whole other podcast, but um, yeah, so at 12, I was fully involved in each, how do I explain this? Each group. So like from 12, 13, 14, you'd have your, what were called the beehives. The next group up to 16 was the Mayamades. And then you had the laurels and it was just the name for that group of people. Okay. And there's probably history behind each of that. I don't know that all right now. <laughs> so in each of those groups, you'd often have like a young woman who was the president of the girls that are that age in your ward. So a ward would be compared to like a parish or it's the group of people that come and meet with you each Sunday, basically. And so I was always one of the young women presidents. So for each one, I was a president. So I was always very active in leadership roles and just did all the things (laughs) (laughs) that kept me a good Mormon girl. (laughs) Um, okay. So you married at 20. Oh, yes. Okay, yes. You had your first child at what? Age? I didn't have my first child till I was 27. Okay. Which is actually the way I was raised Mormon and things have changed a bit. So, you know, this is now 30 years ago when I got married. I guess that would have been 28 years ago now. We were raised you get married and you have children. Like and you don't you're not supposed to prevent it. You just have babies, right? Um I was getting an education and I we did use birth control for three years as I finished my schooling, 
which, you know, put me at the ripe age of 23, <laughs> ready to have a baby. And then it took us about four more years. We, we just had, a, we had problems getting pregnant. And so it took us a while. So that was odd. So that raises a lot of questions. Why don't you have any babies? And people would always ask you, you know, why aren't you having babies? And now at that point, since it took a while, was there ever any consideration to do IVF or, um, um is Not, that even something that we didn't that's, get that far? Okay, but we did go in after a, a year or two, and and I I got on. I think I took Clomid, and that was a, a to kind of help jumpstart things. And eventually, it worked. I I think within six months of that, I was pregnant. Yeah, because a lot of my friends who got married similar ages within a year or two of me getting married had babies within a year. You know, so I'm glad it took a while longer. Just personally, because I was able to finish my education. My husband and I did a little traveling, you know, all of that, which I think is so important. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, yeah. I definitely think that that's before you have kids, you got to do a little of that. Yeah, yeah. So you had your, then you had your first child, then you had your second. So then I had my second, I have two boys, and my second one came. We thought it would take a while, because it took a while for the first one. <laughs> Surprise, it didn't. It didn't, and so he came just shy of two years almost to the date they're three weeks apart as far as their birthdays go but two years apart so just under two years so. okay so around this time you're probably around 30 yeah okay mm -hmm. you have two young boys mm -hmm. graduated you're married mm -hmm. at what point did these feelings of am I on the right path yeah. start popping up so I would say with the faith crisis and I, I I like to say we sing a similar song so like you were pointing out like I have ex-Jehovah's Witness, ex-Evangelicals, um, Seventh-day Adventists. I have people who are like, yes, that's my story. That's my story. They hear, and it's just, I like to say we sing a similar song. So it starts so gradual. So my husband was in the bishopric, which meant he was the first counselor. So I wasn't the bishop, but he was one of his helpers. Okay. <laughs> and um, he got this assignment to have, this is so multi-layered. I'll just say that he had an assignment that took him away from our home for a lot, almost every evening. And at, by this point, we had our baby. And I was thinking, because the Mormon church is very a family-oriented, you know, and a family-centric religion. And here my husband was gone five nights a week doing church responsibilities. And I remember thinking, I'm here alone with my baby. Something's not right. But I was faithful, and I thought, this just is what we're doing. You know, we are faithful in this faith and to God, and this is... Him building the kingdom kind of thing. And so I just, I the reason I say what I said before is it's it's a multi-layered thing. You don't even realize it's happening. You just put a lot of things on what I call the shelf. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, that happened. But then we moved. So he got released from that calling. We moved into our new ward. Now, was his job always related to the church? I'm no, assuming? no, no. Okay. No, no. He also graduated from BYU. He had a, a degree in um, business. So. Okay, so this... What he was doing had nothing to do yeah. with the business, like for a living. He yeah, had another no, no. living. This yeah. was just for the church. Yeah. So in okay. the church, all of the callings are volunteer, but you're called kind of like inspired, like your, your church leaders will say, we've been inspired to ask you to serve in this position. And so you don't get paid and some take more time than others. And so that's just what he was doing, which is like the bishop and his counselors are kind of like in charge of the ward and all the things that happen. And then it's like a, it is like a business, though, where you have someone in charge of Sunday school, you have someone in charge of the young women, you have someone in charge of the young men, someone in charge of the primary, which would be kids 12 and under. 
But most of these people are volunteers? Yeah, so okay. everyone has their normal jobs that they work to provide for their family. I'd say most of the men do. Most of the women, when I was growing up, stayed home because we were encouraged to be a homemaker and a mother. But not everybody. But that's how I grew up believing is that that was kind of like my highest calling was right. to be a mother. So we move into our new house. I'm a month away from delivering our second baby. And then I kind of get up for kind of in the swirling, overwhelmed postpartum with two baby boys, basically. So that took most of my time, thought, space. <laughs> and when you moved, you were still in Utah, but you just moved to a different area? Yeah, a different okay. city. Okay. Which means now you're put in a different ward. So you go to a new church building. It's still the same Mormon church, but different people now. Different faces, you know, in the Sunday congregation. Because you go to the church building you go to depends on where you live. So it's my understanding in a lot of, like other faiths, you can go to whatever church you feel most at home with. Right. Yeah, this one is you in the Mormon church, you're supposed to go to the ward within the boundaries that you live. Oh, Does that make sense? Yeah, no. Yeah. No, I get it. So you're in new boundaries. So, new so you boundaries. don't know any of these people. It's yeah. like a whole new world to yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. And in Utah, I'm, uh, obviously, I'm still living in Utah at the time. I did grow up in California, and but I, and I moved to Utah when I went to BYU, at night, like the day after I graduated from high school. <laughs> <laughs> Load up our big Mormon van, drive me to Utah, you know, <laughs> drop me off, and there I pretty much stayed for 30 years. But we can get to the end in a, in a little bit. But I would say probably by the time I was about 33. I'd kind of like adjusted to these two little boys who were busy, loud, rambunctious boys. Totally fun. But, you know, like kids yeah. just change your world for a while. And um, I started thinking a lot and things weren't resonating with me. Well, I shouldn't say weren't resonating. I just was like feeling like something's not right. I'm mm. just not. I didn't know what it was, though, because I had nothing except what I was feeling. And we were always raised and taught. And what I heard is don't read anti-Mormon literature. So to me, that was a big, bad, scary thing. But I, so I was afraid to read anything that would say negative things about the Mormon church. So I just didn't. I just stayed in my doubts. And I, I even confide, confided in my best friend at the time who has just who lived near me. She was in my ward. And by that time, we'd had a pretty good friendship growing. And I said, I don't know if the church is true. Because we're taught the church is true. And when I say true, like with a capital T, like we have all the truth. Okay. And we are the one and true. Religion. Yeah, religion. And so... So you guys are absolute. Yes. Like, we have the fullness of the gospel. The gospel's been restored. And that happened with Joseph Smith back in 1820 to 30. I think he died in 45. So kind of like all of this, of the story that we've heard our whole lives was very... What I finally learned, very whitewashed. <laughs> so I lived in the space of, I won't say confusion, because I didn't even know what to be confused at. But there were things that were happening that I just was like, something's not right. One example. So 2004, we had now moved again. We had built our dream home, and we had moved into our new home. In 2004, they were starting the first rumblings I had ever heard of the Marriage Act, which would allow same-sex couples to be married. Of course, the church teaches that the people chose to be gay, not that they were born. born. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it was 2004, and I, th there was an act that was, that was to be voted on in Utah. Now, Utah is very conservative and very Mormon especially back then. And I remember talking to some very, I'll just say some very, very close family members about it. And I just said, but that just doesn't make sense to me. If people love each other, who are we to decide? 
And then it was just kind of railroaded with, well, this isn't for us to decide. This is God's law, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I just remember, I don't agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't agree with that. That doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't fit right for me. So that would be an example of something else I just put on the shelf. Because I also thought, well, maybe they're just smarter than me and they know more. Which I think is a, a common thing because we think, because there are some amazing, wonderful people that I grew up with who are doctors and lawyers and like smart people, right? And so you feel like, well, maybe they know something yeah. you don't. Yeah, and, and I should just have more faith. Right. It's, and did your husband know at this point, because I know he's in back in school, he's working. Did you share any of this with him? Um, I would a little bit, but we were so at that point in our own little worlds, just studying our studies. <laughs> I would tell him some things, but I don't think at that point he had so much being poured into his brain with his own studying of, uh, with his MBA that I don't think he realized where I was emotionally, which I felt like I was going through hell and I was scared at the same time. Right. So I'm scared thinking I'm messing this up for my whole family because in Mormonism, you are a family unit and you will progress after this life as a family unit as yeah. well. And so I would talk to him a little bit. But I, I always felt it was more like, it's going to be okay. You don't need to worry about some of this stuff. But to me, it was so fundamental to just who I was as a person. And what starts happening is I started looking back at every life choice I made was because I was on the Mormon path. So at that point, you're kind of thinking, I don't, you don't even know if the real you was making those decisions. Yeah. It was just what you do. It was just, just the religion. Do. It was yeah. It was that kind of guiding you and not like your inner, your in your own intuition, your right. own Amy-ness. Right. Like well, who was Amy yeah. without the church? And that it's weird. Cause I, I just sent out an email to the people on my email list. I was comparing it to, have you seen the movie Tangled? Yes. Where she leaves the ca the castle and she's rolling around and she's so happy. And then she's like, Oh no, but what did I do? I have to go back. And it was this ecstatic guilt ecstatic yeah. yeah like she's just going back I'm like that's exactly what it was because I felt like I love to use the Truman show as a reference like with Jim Carrey and he <laughs> grew up in that space where everything was shiny happy people and we're all doing our parts and then he realizes you know as he's running from the rain cloud like as the rain clouds following him on the beach or that you know like it's such a paradigm shift that it's hard to explain <laughs> how fundamentally different, like my testimony, because that's, we were, we oft, we often grew up bearing our testimony. The first Sunday of every month was called fast and testimony meeting where anyone from the congregation could go up and bear their testimony to, you know, the Sunday ward, which is another confirmation of everything. Right. Right. So it's just this ritual and this compounding it all. Giving you an opportunity to reaffirm your faith yeah. and, and, and have everybody say, yes, yes, you believe, yes. I believe, we all we believe, all we're all together. in this, yes. And I remember sitting in um, Sunday school one day and that they, the teacher was talking about apostates and this person who left the church. And I remember very vividly thinking, they're talking about me, but it wasn't good things they were saying about the apostate. You know, and at that point, this was before I did my YouTube channel or anything. I'm still like in faith crisis. So an apostate is just someone who leaves the church. Yeah. And I guess you could add the caveat of and who broadcasts it. Oh, like okay. the church at whole is fine if you just go away quietly. But there have been people who've been excommunicated for saying <laughs> like the church is not true. And, you know, like because now so when I went through my faith crisis, which I would say was probably 2005 to 2007 of just 
what the F is going on in my life? Like I had no idea. There weren't a lot of places to go. Like I didn't know what, like, cause I would go to church once and I'd sit around and I'd be like, is there anyone I can tell who maybe has a doubt? Like, how do you, yeah. Know? How do you even figure Yeah. How do <laughs> you put the feelers out for that? Yeah. Uh, you having any doubts? <laughs> like there's secret <laughs> yeah. things that go on in the temple, but there's no secret stuff for like people who are doubting, you know? And I just, it just was a very lonely time. I remember the moment very vividly when I knew the church wasn't true in air quotes, you know, and what like, was that moment? So I had done all of this studying, and there was even an online forum, an online site. It was called New Order Mormon, where you could you could make an avatar. So I, it was anonymous because I was really scared. I don't even know how to explain how scared I I knew there were a lot of angry ex-Mormons, and I was trying to digest inf- just information. Like, I don't want it tainted with anyone's opinion. I just want to read the book, read my, my stack of books that I yeah. had, and just start to digest information. But then I had questions, and you can't just ask questions in Sunday school, <laughs> right? Church on Sunday, and so that was a safe place. I could be anonymous and just ask questions, and it, and people there, like the forum, kept it pretty safe. So after a few years of that, I remember coming home one day. Kids are at school, and you know I'm, and I worked from home. I had a, a little ceramic business at the time, so it was just me. My husband, of course, is at work, and I pull into my driveway into the garage, shut the garage, and I just lost it. Because, like, I knew that it wasn't true for me. All that I had done and this perfect life that I'd built with my husband, it just seemed, like, I don't know, I felt at that point, like, I just, like, broke down. I knew I was... Did it feel pointless? Did it feel fruitless? Like, what? Like, I did all this for what? Yeah. Yeah, and I I just started bawling. Somehow I got myself from my car into my family room where I collapsed on my family room floor. And I was sobbing like a baby, like fetal position. Like, so when people say, you don't know what you're talking about, of course the church is true. Like, this wasn't done from a place like I wanted to go drink alcohol or because that's what a lot of members was oh you just were offended or you wanted to drink or you wanted to go have sex or you wanted to go do these like frivolous things and I'm like I don't care about any of that like this is my eternal salvation this is my family unit and I just sobbed and I just wanted the earth to swallow me up I'm like they'd be better off without me because now I don't know anything but yeah every decision I made you know like I mean, even before you're too young to know you're making decisions, but I remember I had to break up with my boyfriend in seventh grade because I was asked to be the beehive president. So that's the group over like the 12, 13 year old girls. So to be a good example, my bishop told me I had to break up with my boyfriend. And this is back in the day where they're like, will you go with me? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I think we held hands once and like nothing, like it's nothing. We're in seventh grade. And... I remember, of course, I had to make that decision because I was a good young woman who would do what I'm supposed to do. So, I mean, that's little. It's nothing big. But then it's like everything after that. When I went to go apply for colleges, I only applied to BYU because it was the church college. Like, why would I even think? Think of going anywhere else. Yeah. I need to meet a man who's a return missionary who can take me to the temple. And, of course, at BYU, there will be a lot more opportunity than if I go somewhere else. And I mean, even like the, 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 so I, I graduated in secondary ed, I taught health and physiology, anatomy, and 
along those lines. And I picked a degree in teaching, even though I loved it, but it was like a safe career that I could go back to if something happened to my husband. Like that's where my mind was because I was supposed to be a woman who stayed home with her children. So your world had evolved around everything, all the principles, which is evolving around your husband, your family, Mm -hmm. and your religion. Yeah. Even to have children. Like it never dawned on me not to have kids. Like that was never... And of course I have my boys and I wouldn't change it for anything. Even my faith grade. There's nothing about my life I would change. But there were a lot of times and even now I'm like, well, would I have done that differently if I didn't have the pressure to be this type of woman? You know? Right. The choice never even popped in your head. Yeah. Because there was no choice. It was, yeah. That was just this the straight is, line that you... do. Yeah. Yeah. You get on the path and you stay there and you keep doing all the things so you can obtain the highest degree of heaven because in Mormonism there's different degrees of heaven and to get to the highest degree you have to be married in the temple. You know? <laughs> See, I was just doing all the things and so to have that world come crumbling down... I call it kind of a free fall. There were a few years where I felt like I was free falling because I was like, what do, what do, what does anything mean? I mean, it, it really went down to that fundamentalist or fundamental way of thinking of like, it just, everything opened up. Like, what is anything? It's like, um, did you, have you seen Pleasant Bill? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't think you're seeing in black and white, but all of a sudden you see this beautiful color you've never seen before. And it just felt exciting so going back I love movie you know examples <laughs> no I love your examples they're they I, they completely resonate with yeah, me yeah it's so uh, so yeah. when okay so what was I guess what was the biggest whoa you got from your reading well, because you said that the first book that you read, yeah. um, repeat the name of it again. So, Rough Stone Rolling. Yeah, Rough Stone Rolling. Mm-hmm. So you, you said you started that as a Mormon. By yeah. the time you finished it, yeah. you were like, I, I don't, don't even know what religion I belong yeah. to. Like, that's basically... So, I learned about Joseph Smith and his life growing up and that he was a treasure digger and he used stone, like peep stones and divining rods and all of these things to, to find things in the earth. And people would hire him to supposedly find buried treasure. So this is before, like, this is before Mormonism was a thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he did all these things and he had a arrest, like he was arrested and he was considered a con man and he was considered all of these things. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) back up a minute here. Because then if you go to the origins of Mormonism, he found golden plates buried in a mountain conveniently near his home (laughs) and you know and so then the story unfolds of how mormonism evolved and it just was like wait i i I did not know that joseph smith put his head in a hat like he put a rock in a hat and he said he would see the words on the stone and then he transcribed the book of mormon Right? I'm like, wait. I'm going to, wait a minute, I'm going to transcribe for you. Let me, let me put my head in this hat. You don't get to look. Yeah. Let no, me put my head in I'm this hat. Gonna, I'm going to look at this. I'll let you know what it says over here. And so there was just, there were just so many things that I'm like, okay, this is kind of batshit crazy. Yeah. I literally wanted to run away. I, I wanted nothing to do with anything that was Mormon. I don't know if everybody goes through that, but there is this feeling of feeling trapped now because now you've set up your life. Yeah, you want to escape it, but you're already in the yeah. clutches of it. You're yeah. in you're in in it. You're really in it. Yeah. So I slowly started to un 
activate from church. Um, in 2009 is when I decided to have my name removed from the church records, which is also a big deal. Some people don't care. They're like, I don't care. They don't hold that power over me. But for me, it was, I'm making this decision. They made all these decisions for me, which I guess technically I made them, but it was through the influence of all of that. Right. That I want my name off. And there's a certain procedure you have to go through. Like, it's crazy. And How long so, is the procedure? Well, they want you to, so you, you're supposed to, I, I can't even remember it. Like, you print these things offline, and then I, had, I was supposed to go talk to my bishop. So, of course, I did. Now, looking back, I'm like, I would have just skipped that step. Because <laughs> <laughs> he, of course, told me to go back home and pray and read my scriptures and, you know. And, the, and I would be ruining not ruining my family's exaltation, but because I'm out of it, it breaks the covenants that we entered into as a husband and wife with mm. our children sealed to us. Because your marriage in the church is sealed for life, yes. for eternity, yeah, right? Yeah, for eternity, yeah. Yeah, it's not a death, you know, married till death you part. You're married forever. And so, and then any children you have under in that marriage are sealed to you just through the covenants that you make in the temple. And so it, it's all such a emotional process, like, and so life changing. Um, and to find out who you are, who you are without, like, what is morality? What is, what is worthiness? Like, what does that even mean? Um, I've had big, pro you know, like hangups with that over my life, like not feeling worthy enough. And I'm like, but I'm doing all these things, but I never felt worthy enough because everything was about, are you going to be worthy? Are you going to be worthy? Don't so now up. you're always questioning it. Yeah. If, are you worthy enough? Yeah. Instead of I'm just worthy because I'm here. Yeah. That's it. So <laughs> when we met, you were still going, you were still married and still going back and forth, yes. still trying to figure it out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But kind of still slowly moving yeah. away from yes. yeah. that life. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah. So it was during that time where I just, about, it was probably 2011. I'm like, I can't go back and forth anymore. Like I need to be with my children. And so I did. And I mean, it's the weirdest feeling. Like I don't know what kept me from leaving altogether. Cause to me that just would have been easier. But I'm so glad that I don't look back and regret. Not, oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, How old were they then? So let's see. 2000, so 10 and 12-ish, okay. I want to say, roughly around there. This is the thing about growing up. <laughs> like, even as adults, like, we think adults have all their shit together all the time. Yeah. No, I was having a huge major faith and life crisis. Yeah. Oh, I bet. You know what? What's so funny? I love that you call it a faith crisis, but I was about to say... It, a faith crisis is a life crisis yeah. if you grew up in a faith. Yes. Because your life is evolved around this. Yeah. yeah. And so when you decide to remove such a big part of your life, yeah. then you are left with figuring out, like, what is my life? What is right. my new life? Right. Yeah. So I could see you wanting to be like, I don't want to do have anything. I, I mean, I love your kids, but... Yeah. I don't want to have to do with this life because yeah. I don't want to, have to deal with it because right. I don't life want this. And life I don't even know what I, I believe know. or I don't even know up from down. I mean, that's how disturbing it was for me. And so then I'm trying to still be adult. I had a business. I was running a business and I, you know, obviously I had kids, I had a marriage and it just felt like I, I just used free falling. Cause I don't know what else to call it. It just felt like 
I'm, I know I'm supposed to be a responsible adult, but I don't know what that means now, you know, because I don't know. It just felt so unfair. Like there's such, such a betrayal and like, but I didn't choose this, but yet I chose it. That's yeah. why other people in my family would say to me, but you are adult. You get to make these decisions. And I, well, you don't understand. Like I didn't make them when I was yeah. still a little kid. And then it's compounded as you grow. And it's, well, what, well, what's so interesting, I feel like even hearing that with the age your children were at that time mm -hmm. is that, you know, that age, I want to say 10 to like... 13 14 that's a really big shift yeah. in um maturity mm -hmm. for kids yeah but you never really got that so it's almost yeah. like you were your life was sort of paralleling them because to leave oh, that religion yeah. there yeah. was also a shift in maturity mm -hmm. for you because there's now this idea of like how much of myself do i have to take care of right to be able to take care of other people right yeah, and how do I, I hate, I hate the term finding yourself, because we're constantly evolving, but it just seemed so huge, it seemed like this big gaping wound, and I didn't know what to do with it, it hurt, and I was mad, and I was angry, so like I talk about how when I first started doing all this research about the history of the church, I didn't want to be influenced by the angry people, <laughs> but eventually I understood the angry, I get that, and it's such an important part of this kind of cycle that you go through. What's you grief? Are mad. Yeah, you're grieving some like it it hurt because I loved it. It was my life. My people are there. Like I love them. Almost everyone except for one brother in my family is still in the church. And when I lived in Utah, everybody in my life was Mormon. Everybody. My husband's family was a big family and they all lived within thirty minutes of each other pretty much. They were all Mormon. Everything was Mormon-centric, conversations. Like, I don't even know how to explain how, like, it just is, it just was life. And so when I removed myself from that, but yet still, that's what I mean. Like, I wanted to run away because I just wanted to know what, what, what was different. What did that mean? You know, yeah. like, how do other people function in life when they're not Mormon? Because <laughs> now I'm trying to figure it out. So you were going back and forth for about a year and a half. And then you decided, okay, now I'm going to go back be with my kids mm -hmm. um how did it feel because I'm assuming when you went back at that point did did you decide I'm going back for them but I'm not I'm done with being a Mormon oh yeah okay so by then I had I had taken my name off the church records I had divorced finalized like all of that stuff so now I have to go back to Utah because like I'm from California and that's where i I lived in Utah for, well, it, it wasn't 30 years at that point, so it was 20-something years where all I wanted, like, especially just get me out of Utah, right? Because it's like the Mecca. And I couldn't do that as long as I had children. And their father lived in the community, you know, so, like, I bought a home right in the community, so I was close to their dad, so our kids, especially as they got older, it wasn't like, you know, we lived super far away from each other, which I'm so thankful I did. But, yeah, there was this, like, okay... I have to just go back and the kids need to grow. And when they turn 18, then I'll make decisions about leaving Utah. But until then, yeah, I just buckled down. It's okay. I am a mom. No matter what decisions I made in my life, I birthed these humans who I love beyond, you know, how it is. Like they, you'd love them more than you knew was possible. Yeah. And so I felt like that was, that helped me at least center myself again. Once I was able to kind of go, okay, Okay, I'm going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. 
So, and, and how did they, how did they feel about it at that point? So it was mixed with, um, a lot of, I don't know, like my oldest is really quiet and doesn't talk a lot. So I, I'm like this big communicator. Let's talk. I want, are you, is this okay? How are you feeling? You know? And of course being boys and all that, my younger one, I was closer to, as far as that, we had more conversations about it, but, um, yeah, I would say there was some struggle in there a bit, you know, and of course then we were entering junior high years and like, we can all remember junior high. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, just dealing with their life. But what it also helped me realize is I, uh, here I am feeling like the worst mom guilt, right? Like mom guilt, painful. And then add Mormon mom guilt. <laughs> I don't know. I, it felt compounded to me. But... Mormon mom guilt. <laughs> Cause I had broken that chain. Yeah. So now I'm constantly, and I remember one time my, my son, was sitting on the couch and looking all sad and melancholy. And I'm like, Hey hon, what's going on? And of course I'm thinking it had something to do with me. No, it was like the baseball game that was on TV. Like, like we think that their world is completely affected by ours. And of course it is in some way, but not like to the extent like they're dealing with their own world yeah. and their own school and their own friends and all of that. So that helped me realize, okay, I'm, I'm here. I'm showing up. I may have not done this perfectly, but I'm here and we're going to get through this. And we have. And now I have one son in and one son out, I guess you could say. The old, and which one is in? So um, my older one is 22. He's out. Okay. And my younger one is fully in. I mean, he just got back from a Mormon mission where he spent two years in Argentina and Paraguay. And he's fully in. He's only been home not even two months yet. So he's still... And anyone, even Mormons, will say there's kind of this weird, funky place. These missionaries, when they get home from being gone for so long, they kind of have to decompress themselves. But, um, you know, we've had conversations. He knows where I stand. He knows I don't believe in it. I know he believes in it. And I choose to love him and support him as he does me. Like, I yeah. just I just spoke at a, a Sunstone Symposium in Utah and he came to support me. And it, it was it's kind of like a Mormon, post-Mormon, like you can be any type of Mormon, in or out. And this conference was all about different different and varying degrees of all that. And he came. And so he got to hear part of my story. I mean, he's lived part of my story. Right. But to be able to hear me speak part of my story, and of course, using I was doing some coaching too through my life coaching stuff that I do. But, you know, I figure he's 20 and he gonna have to handle it like yeah. I'm his mom and this is me and just like I'm handling him well I think the great thing is that him now knowing your story he knows there's a choice yes um because I'm assuming everyone in your life growing up was Mormon there yeah. didn't seem to be that choice never yeah you know, occurred to you right. at that point. You didn't have any close family members that weren't in the, that you didn't see what that looked like. Yeah. He has a vision of what that can be. Yeah. And so if he chooses to make that decision on his own, yes, then it's there. And he has me. Yeah. <laughs> so like, and his father's fully in, like he's, you know, remarried and remarried in the Mormon temple and all of that. So he's fully in and I'm fully out and he gets more of a perspective than I ever had growing up, you know, like he knows that if he does have questions, I, but I think when I was 20 and getting married, no one could have, I, I always say you don't see it till you see it. So like no one could have come to me and said, Amy, the church isn't true. And by this year you won't be in it, but today you could just leave if you want. 
I believed it so completely that I, it, it wouldn't have mattered what someone else said to me. Right. And so we all, oh, we really do, going back to what you were saying, we all do have our own journey. And I guess the important thing is, and, and I think the bigger question, like when you go through something like this, even a life crisis, it doesn't have to be a faith crisis, but you're totally right that it is a life crisis, is that are you willing to be wrong? And I think when I gave myself permission that day to start studying about the church, I guess somewhere in my head was like, there's a possibility I could be wrong yeah. of what I've believed up until this point. So I talk about being willing to go down that road come what may, right? Like we don't know. I didn't know where I was going to end, what I would eventually believe or not believe. I just knew that I couldn't live with that constant spinning doubt anymore. Like I just, it was too much. So, yeah, no one could have told 20-year-old Amy that it wasn't true and that, you know, to stop believing. So, I, you, know, you can't convince anyone of anything. So, I figured my son needs to travel his own path. And if he stays in it, then he stays in it. Yeah. And then your older son, he, how long has he been out? Gosh, he wasn't like a formally out, you know, like, cause, because he didn't live his life so completely as I had um, in it. He... Just stopped going. I would say that probably ended, started around 17, 18. Yeah. So he's doing his thing. Doing his own thing. Both. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm really proud of both of them. You know, I think that's the beauty when you can get to the place where you don't feel like you have to control anyone else's journey. Yeah. That they're, you know, just like you and me, like we have to figure our stuff out, <laughs> you know, and, and living of seeking our own truth, whatever that looks like. And that's why I say, I don't, it doesn't matter to me if someone stays or if they leave, whatever they're given. Because some people stay just for family reasons, and that's a good enough reason. You yeah. Know? Whatever the reason is, but. Well, you have to be, and, but they have to be okay with that reason. Yeah. You know? Because, yeah. like you said, once you know, once you know, you can't unknow. Mm -hmm. So then it's, it makes it all that much more difficult if you are having that, that pull of like, oh, I know this. But I'm staying because of this other thing, yeah. because of my family. Yeah. Yeah. Because then you just have to go, okay, I know that I'll be sitting at church and they'll say things I don't agree with. And then you'll just go, okay, well, that's them. You know, um, for me, that just would be maddening. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, no, I'm, watching, I'm, I'm out of this. And um, I remember you saying your, um, so everyone in your, like all your brothers and, and sisters, except for one, yeah. is still Mormon. Mm -hmm. And your mother Yep. Mm -hmm. Is also still Mormon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and how is your relationship with all of them? Um, it's, it's good. I would say it's different than it used to be, but we've all tried. I've been lucky that my mom loved me anyway. I know she'd rather me be in the church, but there are people who are disowned and you're like, you don't, you know, we're not doing this. Like she'll even like buy me a coffee every once in a while, you know? And <laughs> to me, that's huge. Because oh, coffee being a is good not, mom, yeah. yeah, she's just like, okay. And I think I am very lucky that way. My sister and I, we're, <laughs> it's changed our relationship, but we're both trying. We're both willing to try. Um, and I love her dearly and, you know, her, anyway, yeah, so we, we work. My other brother, we're not as close. He, he lives in Logan, Utah, but yeah. It's all just, a work in progress. Yeah, yeah, we just keep evolving and I guess, you know, you love each other. We just do the best we can. <laughs> we may not always agree, but, you know, that's kind of what makes the world go round, I guess. We each get to decide for ourselves. Oh, totally. Yeah. And so now moving into what you do now, the coaching, <laughs> yeah, really yeah. quickly. Um, 
at what point did you decide, I, I, you know, I think I want to help other people navigate yeah. their faith crisis. I, want, I, I think this is where I can really excel. Yeah. Well, 2012 is when I started my YouTube channel. And I literally just started it because I hadn't seen anyone like me. And I thought I, there would be nights at 2 or 3 in the morning when I was just bawling my eyes out and I didn't know who to talk to. And so I thought, for that woman on the other side, if she sees someone who, I don't know if I look normal, but I'm at least a face that's maybe from, because it seemed like there were a lot of guys, a lot of men who've gone through this. I didn't find anyone like me who I could relate to. So I just started making videos sharing my story. And at that point, I wouldn't say I was life coaching. I wanted to be, but I didn't know how to do that. And so it's it's taken me that long to kind of, figure out and I, I'm now certified. I've gone to the school for it and all this stuff that's really given me clarity around how to do this. And I love it so much because even though like post-Mormonism or post-religious life is my niche, so to speak, right? people come to me and because it is a life crisis, we talk about everything. Sometimes they're far over Mormonism, but they're still dealing with the pieces of their life that give them struggle. So um, and I, I've coached all people like people in different religions, like we've talked about. So it's not just Mormonism, but, um, like I said, we sing a similar song. The pain is, the pain is undescribable. Like when I say I wanted the earth to swallow me up, like that's not an exaggeration. <laughs> and so, because I knew life was never going to be the same again, but like we talked about, like, I don't know what that means, you know? And so people you know, tell me they feel broken. Like I never feel any of us are broken. We just feel like we're maybe bent or we're hurting, but this is just, this is the, the beauty of life, right? And this is how we work on healing ourselves and, and being, being willing to, I, like I tell my, my people that they're the bravest people I know because for most of everyone, they're the only one in their family that's going through this. And I just honor them so much because it's, it hurts so bad and to do it alone on top of it, because it's kind of like a, an awakening of sorts. I know that's probably a woo woo word now, but it's like when you first go through it, you really do think you're an alien in your own family. Like yeah. I am different now from my family and I don't know anyone else because you're even your social construct is everyone at church. At least for me, it was. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I just knew that this is something I needed to do <laughs> to help people navigate this path because it's painful. It's scary. And the most beautiful thing is seeing my clients find their voice and be able to speak their truth, even if their family doesn't agree with them. Cause that's scary because what happens initially is you start feeling like you're the one who has to stifle yourself. Mm. And that's what was happening to me. I thought, well, I'll just sit here and mind my P's and Q's, right? I'll have all the thoughts that I need to think in my head, but I'll just keep my mouth shut and sit through church. But when you feel the one that you can only stifle yourself for so long, and then it starts to come out in your body in other ways. Yeah. So, yeah, I love what I do. Yeah, it, Something really struck me, what you said, that when you were watching YouTube early on, you didn't see a lot of women. Yeah. And that's so interesting because when I think of uh, 
a lot of religions where people are having a faith crisis, it is mostly women. Because, like, for example, and I'll, I'll put in the show notes, I can't remember the name of the documentary right now, but there was a documentary that I watched a couple months ago on Netflix, and it was about uh, these women from Hasidic, Hasidic Jewish community. Yes. And how... Yeah, and how they were trying to, you know, leave and how it how isolating it yeah. was mm-hmm. and trying to just, you know, find their life after that. I mean, they some of them lost their kids. Yeah. It was just really heartbreaking. And I think what's what's so interesting is that um and it can be argued if it's on purpose. If it's not on purpose. Yeah. I personally think it's on purpose. <laughs> um that a lot of these religions have a very strong element of of uh, keeping women subservient. Yeah. Well, sure, it's the patriarchal system. Yeah, right? exactly. And in Mormonism, that's how it is, too. It is a patriarchal society where you look at the higher-ups, and it's mostly white, older men, and that trickles down into the, the stake. So this is the, the order of things. Like, you have a stake... <laughs> which is S-T-A-K-E, a grouping of wards. So remember, wards are where people meet. You meet with your ward on Sunday. A stake is a whole bunch of wards. So you have a stake president mm. who's over that. But it's all men who have the priesthood, right? And okay. they have the higher, and that could be argued too, depending on who you talk to. But a woman needs to be married to a priesthood holder to be able to make it to the celestial kingdom. So from oh, there the, you go. From the yeah. get-go, yeah. it's set up that way, and it's, you know, so so even, like, I think, I'm, like, I'm thankful I got my education, but it was still secondary because my husband was going to be the breadwinner. So when I left the marriage, and I actually, I did have a few years under my belt. I think I taught high school for four years, so I did have some experience, but now I was kind of, I had a different career. I was doing I was working out of my home doing ceramic hand and foot impressions of little little ones. And I loved it. So I've, I've kind of always been an entrepreneur since about 2000. And so, but, you know, financially leaving a marriage that was pretty much financially stable. But since I chose to leave it, starting over, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so as a woman, what, you know, like, if you've been part of the system that is to keep you... I mean, this is the thing, like you said, like it could be argued that it's to keep women down. I don't know. I mean, each marriage is their own thing. And I'm sure there are some that are abusive. My husband wasn't that kind of, he was a good man and treated me well. And we had a good relationship. But um, yeah, if you, you know, don't think that you have any authority because you're second to the priesthood. It, see how there's so many layers to oh, this totally. mentally? Yeah. yeah. And I think, like, watching that documentary, that was that was also the interesting perspective of that, is that I think there was one where the woman was left, but she was kind of like, well, I don't know. Like, I've been raised to be a mother yeah. and a homemaker, and I have no education. Yeah. I don't know. Like, what do you do? Like, what do I, like, I, my, my skills are specifically for this world and now I don't have that world anymore so where do I fit in yeah and you know to me I don't think that that's 
a coincidence yeah. for the overall arc of right. certain religions. Yeah. I'm not going to say all of them. Right. Um, but I don't think that that's a coincidence. Yeah. No, but I think religiously speaking, like I've worked with um, evangelicals who've left their faith and it's very that way. Yeah. Subservient. And they're like, now what do I do? And it's just heartbreaking. So I, I see all of that, all walks of life. And then it's like, what do I do? But the good news is there's, there are things you can do yeah. and you can build yourself up and not. Because what happens is you leave whatever dogma you came from and you think you've left most of it, but you have this residual stuff that still floats around your brain that you are less than or you'll never amount to. I mean, not that I, I was never, I mean, we were always told we were daughters of God and, you know, we, you know, all these things, but it was such a conflicting message that, so my point though is, is leaving that you can always recreate and reinvent yourself. And that's the beauty of it. But the tricky part is when you have all that re residual belief in there that you don't even realize because it's so subconscious. And now you're trying to find ways to navigate that's new, yet you, still you're still, you know, so it's finding that like, okay, we don't have to believe that anymore. You can set those beliefs down. But so the work I do with a lot of my clients is even finding those old beliefs that are stuck in your brain that you don't even believe, like you think you've left it all, but some of it still comes with you, you know? Right. And so there's, in the beginning, it sounds like the beginning of the journey, there's a lot of conflict. Yeah. Um, because you, you know, you know what you know now, yeah. but also there, you know what you've been taught and it's kind of like the reconciling yeah. of the two and I'm assuming a part of that reconciling is, is also kind of, it's also kind of like a sense of like safety because it's like, well, this is what I know. Yeah. Like perhaps I yes. can, the wheels are spinning because it's sort of like, well, this is what I know. So yeah. I have to make it sort of make sense. Yeah. Because what I, what I now know as the new truth is very unknown. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's normal for even the human mind yeah. for us to kind of transition that way out sure. of, um, you know, when there's something new, it's almost like, I want to say it's very similar to when you are implementing something new in your life. Like, let's say, for example, working out, very yeah. simple. Like when you are learning like a new technique, let's say you've never lifted weights before. Yeah. And you do it. And at the beginning, you're like, I know this is good for me. I know I'm going to gain muscle mass. I know I'm going to lose weight fast. You know, like, yeah. I know it's going to slim me down. But for 20 years, you've just been all about aerobics. Yeah. And it's like aerobics, aerobics, aerobics. People totally. like put in your head, like, that's the way to lose weight. Just yes. count calories, just count yeah. calories. And you're like, but now there's this new way. So it's like, you, yeah. you know, that that was, that was the old way and it worked for you then, but now you know a new thing. Totally. Yeah. And so you kind of have to give up parts yeah. of this old thing but to get, navigate. you feel comfortable. So, like, I call it new, your neural pathways in your brain. Like, whatever you've learned to do. So, like, working out is perfect. You, and you know, like, okay, I'm going to go build this muscle, right? So you're going to do some biceps. You're building a muscle, but it hurts, right? Right. But that doesn't mean, okay, just because it hurts, now you stop and you never do it again. Yeah. So, in the same thing goes with our beliefs. And our brain is so powerful because it always wants to default to what is comfortable even if it's uncomfortable. So now you've had this huge faith crisis slash life crisis and you're trying to find new ways, but your brain's like, but we know this one. And so you're trying to build these new neural pathways in your brain. And that, this is what I do with my clients. It's yeah. very much all 
brain brain based and like psychological because that's where the work is so sometimes it's exhausting my clients will be like I'm so tired <laughs> I'm like that's okay keep going like all the tools that I give them it's it's to build those new neural pathways so that they find new ways to deal with that they've never thought of before mm. because they've had these deep it's like the Grand Canyon of beliefs right especially tied to religious beliefs. Yeah, so you have to dig deep and get to the yeah. root. And you got to like go over so you're not in that canyon anymore and now we start creating new neural pathways. And it's such a beautiful process when I like have a moment with one of my clients who are like and they get a taste of it. And I'm like, "See? Like, now just keep <laughs> leaning into that. Now we're going to yeah, add okay. to that. We're going to add to that because it's so much easier. Like we don't even realize that we almost kind of get addicted to I don't want to say depression or something, but some of our feelings we're addicted to. Yeah. And we don't even know we're doing it. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. And so this is like, okay, yeah, you know how to do that really well. We got to be over here, which means you can be sad or depressed or anxious or stressed or confused, but that's just a thought. Like it's just an emotion created by your thoughts. We're going to go over here now and create the ones that get you somewhere. Oh, I love that. So <laughs> essentially your coaching deals with it from a brain-based yes, perspective completely awesome I love that yeah um okay we're nearing the end <laughs> um this by the way this conversation has been fascinating I love it I, 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 I could talk about this all day long <laughs> no I love it I love all of this this has been so eye-opening and I just I just really enjoy hearing about your story um, I'm going to, I'm doing this new thing. Okay. Um, these rapid fire questions. Yeah, do it. Um, I, hopefully I don't like panic. <laughs> I do this thing where I'm like, I know all the things that I like, but like when I'm asked a question, I feel like, okay, first give me all the options. Then I'll tell you. My <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, earliest memory. So this is funny. I think this goes back to the very beginning of what we talked about. You know how sometimes you know if your memories are because your mom's told you the story so many times? Right. Or if it's oh, yours. Or it's mine. But when we did go to the Lutheran church, because that's where we went to for like a year or two when I was little, in between my mom being Mormon and being Mormon again, I was in like um, a little Easter dress and she sat me down next to these plants and it was on top of like all these ants. <laughs> So I remember seeing, or yeah, getting scared from the ants and being in my little Easter dress and being scared. It's oh, funny. <laughs> it's probably one of my earliest <laughs> memories. <laughs> Favorite book? Mm. I have different genres of books that I like. Let's do two genres. <laughs> okay, let's see. Um, oh my goodness! I one that was very transformational for me in this journey was reading the Poisonwood Bible. And the author just left my brain. It will come to me. But um, it was about a family who took their kids to do kind of like a missionary um, experience in the Congo. And I remember reading that book and comparing it to the Mormons sending their Mormon, the kids out to the world. And it was a kind of a more of an evangelical type thing. But I remember thinking, why do you need, why do you need to tell these people to do life differently? Right. And that was so, because so the book was written in the, like each chapter, I think there were four daughters. I remember, it's been a while since I've read it, but each book was from one of the daughter's perspectives. But that's kind of the biggest takeaway I had from that, because I was like, hmm, 
And this was before I had my faith crisis. Yeah. But it started the, you know, that shelf. That was, yeah, that was one of the things on the shelf. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it just, it started getting me thinking along that, those lines of why do we need to tell anybody to do it differently? So that's yeah. one of the ones that I That reminds love. me of a story that was in the news a couple of months ago about a guy that was doing like a missionary thing. Gosh, I think it was in Asia. And he, okay. it was a, it was a country. It was like an island that was very isolated and it was protected. Oh, and did he try to? Yeah, and he yeah. he went by boat by himself. And I was like, why didn't they tell him not to go there? Leave them alone! Yeah. <laughs> oh no! They have their own traditions and their own beliefs, and it's beautiful to them. Yeah, like I just, yeah, yeah. the the Poisonwood Bible. Um. Okay. Uh, favorite quote. Okay, so. I always get this messed up and this is by Maya Angelou because I always remember the ba the the second part of it but it is do the best you can until you know better then when you know better do better. I like that one. Yeah, I and love that I one love of hers. That yeah. one because I think sometimes we beat ourselves up from decisions we've made or something. And I think we we are constantly evolving and so we're going to mess up sometimes and when we know better we really do do better yeah that's so true and, and until you you have that experience yourself of whatever it is you know you, yeah. you kind of got to figure it out and funny you saying that i remember watching one of your youtube videos and you said that you were like at any point you have permission to evolve at any point you can change your mind about anything in your life yeah. and choose to do better yeah you you don't have to be the same person you were 10 years ago. And right. I think a lot of people live under this idea that people don't change or can't change. Yeah. And that, you know, you see someone five years from now and you're like, oh, well, they have a whole different personality and they have this. And it's like, they're, they're allowed to. They get to do that. They get to do that. Yeah. It's their life. And sometimes we put ourselves into boxes. Yeah. It's like, no, there are no boxes. <laughs> like, let's get rid of them all. It's okay. Yeah. You give yourself permission to change. And if you, yeah, you, you just know, when you know better, you do better. Mentally. I literally love, that's like one of my favorite things I repeat all the time in my head. <laughs> <laughs> love her. And uh, what is one thing you've always wanted to learn to do? So, we moved. So I, I thought I, you were going to say so. I was going to be like, <laughs> me too! <laughs> no, I did all that. Like, growing up, I learned all the, like, cro crocheting, cross-stitching, sewing, like, you know, of course, all those things. Um, but... So I grew up in Huntington Beach, and we just recently moved back here in January. And I think surfing. Like, if I had to pick mm. something that's, like, out of my box, speaking right. of boxes, I mean, I love the ocean, and it just calls to me. And I knew that, like, I don't know if we're going to be there forever, but leaving Utah, I'm like, I just need to be back home. Like, I need to sit my butt down on the sand and just stare at the ocean for hours at a time. And so I watch surfers quite a bit. And I just thought, you know, I grew up here and I never learned to surf. Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> so if I had to pick something new to learn, it would probably be along those lines, which would be scary for me, for oh, yeah. sure. That'd be scary for me, too. <laughs> yeah. I don't swim, so that's that's why it'd <laughs> be scary that. for me. I got That's my first thing I got to learn how to yeah. do is swim. Steps, right? <laughs> um, okay, and my last thing, going back to the life coaching, someone comes to you with a faith crisis mm -hmm. slash life crisis. Yeah. Um, they haven't done the, it's, it's their very first, they, they have the shelf. Uh, yeah. And it's still up and it's still, <laughs> it's still up, but okay. they have the shelf. It's yeah. still up. What do you say to them? Oh wow, Yeah. 
Well, I ask them what they want. I and mean, they probably don't even know, but their shelf is still up. I'd say give yourself permission to follow your your gut. Come what may. Because it it might not lead to sunshine and rainbows initially. You know, it's it can be scary. But that's where we grow. Like if we don't follow that, staying safe in a box isn't going to be a life. And so sometimes that means you have to open yourself up. But honestly, that's what I would tell them. Follow that wherever that leads you and takes you and know that it's going to be okay. It really is. And I think I am so thankful for my faith crisis. Like I, it took me years to be able to like probably even a decade before I could say that completely because like it hurt like hell and my whole life changed completely. But I, there are so many things and places and people that I, I would have been close to before this. Cause I feel like I'm less judgmental. I'm less stressed. I'm, I'm just more, not that I'm certainly not perfect, but I just feel a different calm that I didn't feel when I was on that previous path. Like, you know, I veered left and I started walking that way. And then you find if your life does change and you lose people, maybe friends, because this for sure happens, you're going to lose friends. People are going to judge you. People will be mad at you. People will think you're doing it wrong. Yeah. You find other people. You find other ways. You find other beliefs. Like you find a different way. Because like it's not wrong. That When you're taught so much that that path is the one and only. And then you start walking another one. You're like, wow, this is pretty good. There's good people here. I like it. You know, It's such a beautiful place to be. I mean, it really is. So I say... Follow the road where it takes you. Follow, make your own yellow brick road. Make it purple or pink or I don't know, whatever you need to do. But it's so important to pull the curtain back. The Wizard of Oz is another one I love. <laughs> no, I love that. Oh, thank yeah. you, Amy, so oh, much for joining so me today. Much. Okay, I want you to throw out all of your info, your website. Okay. Where, where can people yeah. find you? So I'm amylogenlife.com. Because Amy Logan was taken, so I threw life in there. That's what it's, this is all about. So amyloganlife.com. Um, and then I'm at Amy Logan Life on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Am I leaving anything out? <laughs> That's, I mean, in my email, amyloganlife at gmail.com. You know, just Amy Logan Life. You'll Your find YouTube? Me. YouTube, I th it's Amy Logan Post-Mormon Life. Okay. And, um... I might change that up eventually to be just post-religious life, but um, I, I do speak from the Mormon experience. But like I said, if anyone's had a faith crisis, <laughs> we, we speak the same language. Right. Yeah. Oh, thank you so yeah, much for this talk. You. I so this enjoyed is, it. It's gone by fast. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>
She is there for you. Reach out to her. Contact her. She's got some great stuff on YouTube. She's got some great stuff on Instagram. Friend her on Facebook. Um, listen to her podcast. I'm sorry. Oh, my God. Um, Amy has a podcast. It's called Ex-Mormonology, the podcast. Check her out. Subscribe. Listen a little bit more. Um, what did you think about this podcast? Did you love it? <laughs> if you did, please go to our iTunes page and give us a five-star rating. Come on, don't be chintzy. Don't be cheap with the stars. Give us five stars. And you know what? If you haven't clicked on subscribe already, go ahead and do that too. Click subscribe. Go ahead and subscribe right there. We're also on Spotify. Um, if you think that you might be the perfect guest for this episode, um, in a few weeks, I'll be starting up interviews for season two. Hopefully we're you know, I'm sitting at home in my closet. We're all social distancing, but I'm going to make it, try and make it work. If you think that you are right, maybe you are that one blank friend, you know, hit me up, send me an email at that one blank friend at gmail.com. Feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. IG is that one blank friend. Twitter is that one blank FR. This podcast is thanks to me, Sadia, the host the creator of this shindig. Um, also, extra special thanks to uh, executive producer slash sound mixer slash um, the guy who does everything else on this podcast, my husband, Brett Butler. Thank you so much. I honestly, literally could not do this without him. Thank God my husband um, is in sound. Uh, otherwise, I'd probably wouldn't be doing this podcast um <laughs> thanks to him all right i think that's it we'll see you next time